Welcome, welcome to Body Peace Collective. This is episode 11. And today we're going to touch on three dangerous beliefs that we have about our bodies and what we can do specifically to overcome them. My husband and I, from the time we first got married, we decided that travel was going to be something that was very important to us. It was something that we felt really strongly about exposing our children to. And not just the kind of travel that is like cruise traveling. I have nothing against cruises, um, but we felt really strongly specifically about having our children come to learn and understand more about the different cultures that exist within the world and and to come to know personally people that live within those cultures. And so that's something that we have worked really hard to incorporate in our lives and in the lives of our children from the time they're very young. Um, they've had the opportunity, and we recognize that this is a huge privilege, but we've had the opportunity to expose them to lots of different ideas and religions and cultures and 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 people. And it's it's a really, really beautiful thing. And one thing that we've come to learn and come to notice is that people all over the world operate with different sets of beliefs. And these different sets of beliefs influence how they live their lives. It influences how they spend their time, how they spend their money. It influences their um, community relationships and also their familial relationships. But these, these core beliefs, these core values that exist within these societies and within these cultures shape their behavior in such a powerful and beautiful way. As we had the opportunity to to watch and to see and to learn about these different beliefs and these different ideas that motivate and inspire and determine these cultural systems, we got a lot more curious about what are some of the beliefs and values that we that are essentially the undercurrent of our culture and of our society, of our country. And it's really interesting because those beliefs and those ideas, whether we choose to be conscious and recognize conscious of them and recognize them or not, they do significantly influence how we live our lives on a day-to-day basis. For example, I had the opportunity, I think I've mentioned this before in, in a past podcast, but I had the opportunity to live in Uganda for several months. And while I was there, I lived in a small community and it was more of a rural community. And my experience was that everything they did, every activity that they used and spent their time doing was centered around the idea of survival. So I knew women who walked for up to six hours a day, bringing jugs of clean water to their home in order to have water to cook with and bathe with and wash their dishes with. They spent their days out in the fields, um, cultivating their crops and repairing their homes and, and just their whole life, like literally every part of their day was spent working towards 
fulfilling this these basic human needs of food and water and shelter. There were no rec centers. There were no youth soccer leagues. There were no exercise classes or even just arcades, right? Like places for people to just socialize and have a good time that didn't exist because a huge underlying current in their culture was survival. And it didn't just affect their day-to-day living, right? It also affected how their country was run. So whether we consciously choose to recognize it or not, we also operate based on a system of beliefs, both collectively and individually. And if we want to find out what those beliefs are, one of the first things we can do is look around, look around us, look at our community, look at our country, look at our society and ask, what do we value? Where do we spend the most time and the most energy? And what, what does that say about what is important to us? It's really interesting because as I, as I did this exercise, I realized, what do we value? Our, in our culture, we value being seen. We value being important. We value getting ahead. More money, more friends, more square footage, more influence, more followers, more clothes, more, more, more. That's something, this idea of never enough Lack is a belief that drives a lot of what our culture does and a lot of what we do. And this feeds a lot into how we see and how we think about our bodies, right? This body that moves and breathes and loves others so well for us, she is not enough. It needs to be more, she needs to be more toned. She needs to be more tan. She needs to be more thin. All of these ideas, all of these ideas are based in this underlying belief of not enough. And it's something that whether we would like to admit it or not, it really is a driving force within our communities and within our country and within our culture. You know, the rat race, we joke, we joke about the rat race, but it's real, right? And what is at the end of that rat race? That's what we value, right? That is what we're working for. And if you, it's interesting because if you look at how much time we spend working on the outside of our bodies, right? What working on the things that people can see, Versus how much time do we spend on our minds, making sure that our minds are healthy, that our mental health is strong, right? That our intentions, our heart is good, right? We as a society, we value the external. So I want to dive then, I want to dive into what are three three common beliefs, dangerous beliefs about our bodies. These three beliefs are things that come up again and again and again as I speak with other women. And they're the root, I think, of a lot of our behaviors and a lot of the the thoughts and the ways 
that we choose to see our bodies, I think that they can often be rooted back to three these three beliefs. The first belief, number one, is in this moment, we are not good enough. Now, I, I think that there is this common misunderstanding that when I encourage women to say, I am more than enough, I'm exactly what I need to be right now, there's always this little voice, I think, in the back of people's minds that say, wait, am I giving up? Right? Am I am I just content with what I am in this moment and I'm not gonna try to be better? I want to I want you to put that idea to rest because that is not the case at all. Anyone who knows me knows that I love setting goals and I love working for things. But there is also serious power that comes in contentment, in being grateful for what you have right now. And that's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to just in this moment to be present and to feel grateful for what you have, to recognize that in this moment, your body is exactly what it needs to be in this moment. And that doesn't mean that you can't become stronger or faster or more healthy. It just means that right now, you're just fine. And what is so interesting is that when gratitude, this feeling of contentment, when it is the root and the reason for for changing behavior, behavior changes so much more rapidly. And the, the behavior change lasts much longer when it's rooted in contentment and in gratitude. So one of the ways that you can overcome this idea of not being enough is to focus exactly kind of what I just said. Focus on being present right now. And instead of thinking about what your body should or could be doing, focus on right now, what does your body allow you to do? What does your what does your body, what does she do for you every single day? And recognize and say out loud that right now, my body is everything she is supposed to be. It was really interesting because a few weeks ago, I was putting my youngest to bed. He's two years old. He is the most energetic, crazy toddler. I... I don't know if boys are just that way. I know that it's terrible to stereotype, but I have my two oldest are girls and I just have never, (laughs) I have never known a child like him. He is just so busy and precocious and sometimes I think he's a maniac, but I love him dearly. Anyways, I was putting him down for his nap and he's very particular about his nap time routine and so I lay in a, it, within his room. There's a big bed that we have for guests. Um, and then he has his small bed. But we lay in the big bed and he likes to lay on my chest. He lays on top of me and we sing his particular songs that he expects every time. And we go through the little routine. Well, I noticed that anyway, he, he laid on my chest and then he just kept trying to get comfortable. 
And I realized that um, I, you know, I could feel his little head kind of grinding on my sternum <laughs> and it, it was feeling uncomfortable to me. And I had this flashback to two years earlier, laying in that same bed with my, um, my nursing breasts that were just very large and uncomfortable at the moment. And my torso that just felt like Play-Doh, um, this soft torso that I had just after just having a baby, um, my body was so soft <laughs> and literally it felt fluffy. That's, that's the only way that I can describe it. But I just had this flashback to this little teeny infant, a few days old, laying on this soft, supple body. And I realized that my body, even in that moment, she was exactly how she was supposed to be for have just having a baby. This baby needed a soft, warm place to feel secure and to be snuggled constantly throughout the day. They need that so much more when they're new, when they're newborns and as they're getting older. Um, in contrast to how my body has changed after I've stopped nursing and I have basically completely lost <laughs> all of that breast tissue. And I have a bony sternum and bony ribs that stick out when I lay down. And, and, but my body is now ready to chase around a very active toddler. Anyway, I just thought, I know that that experience may not be the same for everyone. But for me, I just thought that that was really beautiful how my body had changed to be what it needed to be in the times in my life that I needed it to be that way, if that makes any sense. But I think that that just illustrates the point that we can trust our bodies. You can trust her. She is here to take care of you. That is her ultimate job. So give yourself some grace. Be patient. But take the time to be present and to practice saying again and again that right now my body is everything it needs to be. All right. Belief number two that is dangerous is any belief that starts with I should or I shouldn't and is followed by some requirement regarding our bodies. It's so interesting to me because we have such unrealistic expectations of what our bodies can and should look like. And what's so interesting to me about that and what is so ironic to me about that is that if you were to take a real life inventory of the women in your life, the women that you see every day, you would see so many normal bodies. And when I say normal, I mean bodies that haven't been airbrushed or edited or, or filtered in any way. You see normal bodies. But yet, our brain for some reason has tricked us to think that our bodies need to look like what we see in magazines and on Instagram and in all of these media venues that that have unrealistic edited 
touched up photos. So we completely disregard the true bodies that we see every day. And instead we choose to fixate on these, these fake images of, of bodies. Several years ago, I worked at a high-end boutique fitness center and like a, a gym, right? Like a high-end gym. And I was a personal trainer there. And there was a specific protocol for anytime we had a new client that we they, they would come in and we would talk to them about their goals and find out a little bit more about why they chose to come um, and work out with us. And then um, our, yeah, and then we essentially um, used their goals to motivate them throughout the workout. And it was always so fascinating to me what people thought was wrong with their bodies. I, I specifically remember this one woman who came in and she was in her mid thirties and she had one of the smallest bodies I think I've ever seen. She was extremely, extremely, extremely lean. And when I asked her what, what was her goal? What, why did she come to, to exercise with us and to work out with us? What was she hoping to get from that experience? She lifted up her tank top and pinched this small fold of skin on her stomach and said, I'm just working. I'm here to get rid of this. And I remember just being flabbergasted because I wanted to let her know that if she got rid of that fold of skin, if she ever leaned to the side, her skin would, her body would literally split open. <laughs> like, like that sounds so crazy, but it's like she, she had this extremely unrealistic and unhealthy idea of what her stomach should be like purely because of pictures and things that she'd seen. It had to have been pictures because there is no human being that could possibly exist without skin that stretches and folds at some point when you pinch it on your stomach. But that was a really, for some reason, I don't know why I remember her so clearly, but it was, it was such a jarring experience to, to see how deeply our culture had permeated her brain with regards to what she felt was realistic and what she felt she should or should not look like. I think that it is really, really important to help you understand right now that these images that you see that have been touched up and edited, or even um, you may know people that compete in like fitness competitions or bikini competitions, you may see these perfectly chiseled, tanned bodies, but what you do not see is the psychological and physiological damage that occurs as a result of what it takes in order to maintain that type of physique. Is that physique possible? Yes, but the cost is too high. I'm telling you that right now. <laughs> the cost is too high. It is not sustainable. It is not sustainable. And I've actually been really fascinated with in recent years as intuitive eating 
has become more mainstream, how many personal trainers or bikini competition, um, bikini competition competitors are starting to come out of the woodwork and be very honest and open about the damage that has occurred to their bodies hormonally and physiologically as a result of participating in things like that. Um, and they realize that now as they've learned to adopt a healthier lifestyle of intuitive eating and um, healthy relationship with exercise. But the point is, is that that, that type of physique, that body is, is nearly impossible for 99.9% of the human race to achieve and to maintain. So instead of telling yourself, I should or I should not, you know, I should be more this, or I shouldn't have this. I want you to question every time you tell yourself, I should, or I shouldn't. And I want you to think first, I want you to say, who says that I should or shouldn't? And who benefits from me having that type of body or wanting or working for that type of body? So one of the ways that you can uproot this belief system, this idea of I should or I shouldn't with regards to your body is to one, each time you hear your brain, you recognize your brain thinking I should or I shouldn't followed by some description or or requirement for your body, I want you to ask yourself who says that I should or shouldn't dot, dot, dot. And who benefits from me believing that? Okay. So for example, who says that I should be smaller than I am right now? And who benefits from me thinking that? One way that can help you kind of overcome this belief also is I want you to take a very respectful inventory of bodies of the women around you. Now I'm not talking about, I don't want you to sit and stare people down and analyze. Um, that's, that's not what I'm asking you to do, but I do just want you to be aware, kind of like what we talked about at the beginning of this principle. I want you to be aware of how many women do you know that have cellulite? How many women do you know whose thighs touch? How many women do you know have folds in their stomach when they sit down? How many women do you know have a double chin or or have sagging breasts or have skin on the bottom of their arms, right? Like, like take inventory, take a respectful inventory of the women that you know and change this idea, change these unrealistic expectations that we have for our bodies that come purely from an idea of, of lack, right? Of not being enough. It's rooted to that first main idea. Our third and last um, dangerous belief is that larger bodies are bad bodies. Several weeks ago, I talked with some parents who were expressing some concerns they had for their child. Um, Their child, their, their body was changing and they noticed that their eating habits were changing. And as I talked more with them about 
these changes in their eating habits and also in their child's body, I realized that this child was going through puberty. (laughs) Their body was changing and growing. And as I probed more and asked more about the eating habits, I realized that none of these things that these parents were worried about, none of these eating behaviors were unhealthy or of anything to be concerned about. But what was so interesting was that these parents, as I listened to them, I realized that their underlying belief is that the worst thing in the world for their child would be for them to experience being fat. We have so much negative stigma around being fat. And what's really, really interesting is that current research is showing that the stress and stigma of having a larger body may do more damage to our health than actually having a larger body. Meaning that whether you have a large body or not, if you are living with the belief that your body is bad because it is fat or it is larger than you think it should be, then you are experiencing an added amount of stress and stigma that is having a negative effect on your body. It's interesting too because, like I said, we have such a negative stigma around fat, around larger bodies, but even just around the word fat. My we my family, we went, and this was before um, school shut down in the spring. My daughter was chosen as the VIP of her class. Each of the children get a turn. And for part of her VIP week, we were able to go to her classroom and meet her class and kind of introduce our daughter to her class, the things that she loves and the things that she likes, her hobbies and things like that. And she has two teachers in her classroom. And a few days later, um, we were riding in the car and my four-year-old daughter asked her older sister, the one whose classroom we had gone to visit, she was asking her about her teachers. And my oldest daughter was not understanding the question. And so she said, which, wait, I don't get it. Which teacher are you talking about? And my four-year-old said, the fat one. I'm talking about the fat one. And my oldest daughter gasped and she's like, Kate, we don't say that. And I was really taken aback because I was thinking, I've tried really, really, really hard as a mother to be very careful about how we talk about bodies and how we think about bodies in our family. And my four-year-old, there was sincerely nothing behind that. Like fat was just a word to describe this woman was larger. It happened to be that she was pregnant. (laughs) And so of course her body was larger. And my daughter was just using that as as a descriptive word. But my eight-year-old somehow has picked up on meaning behind that word that we have ascribed to being fat. But the truth is, is that having a larger body means nothing about you. But if you think about the word fat, if you think about she is fat, what are all of the other words, the other adjectives and descriptive words that naturally start to come to your mind when you think that? right? Being fat alone by itself is not a problem. 
right? It doesn't mean anything about you and who you are and what you have to contribute to the world. The size of your body does not have any weight, no pun intended, does not have any weight on who you are as a person. But what's so interesting is that as a society, we have made the pursuit of thinness so virtuous and so noble that we have completely villainized and demonized fatness. And the lines have become so blurry that someone who has a larger body literally thinks, I am bad because I am fat. And that is not true. So here's what you can do to overcome that thought. I want you to ask yourself, why is a larger body a bad body? What if that larger body can crush it in a cycling class? What if that larger body can run a sub four marathon or hike for three hours without stopping? So in order to overcome that thought, I want you to take some time to really think about why do you think a larger body is a bad body? And be very, very, very careful to remember that when we talk about having a larger body, we often associate that with behaviors such as um, lack of exercise and a nutrient deficient diet and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. When I say a larger body, I'm hoping that that larger body is taking time every day to take care of their mental health, to get enough rest, to get enough nutrient-dense food, to move their body every day, right? We have to stop and separate a larger body from an unhealthy body because they're not the same thing, okay? Oftentimes within our culture, actually always within our culture, they're lumped together as one thing. But in order to be more clear and more definite and to separate ourselves from this negative stigma that's associated with having a larger body, we have to understand that a larger body does not mean unhealthy. A larger body does not mean lazy. A larger body does not mean that you are not good enough or doing enough. There are a lot of dangerous beliefs that we have about our bodies. And the thing that is empowering is to realize that beliefs exist in our minds only, right? But yet they're powerful. They determine how we choose to live on a daily basis, but they still start within our mind. And what's empowering about that idea is that you can opt out. You can say, I don't have to believe these things anymore. I don't have to believe that I'm not good enough. I don't have to believe that my body should or should not be this. I don't have to believe that large bodies are bad bodies. You no longer have to operate by these rules. You can choose to flip the script. I think sometimes as we seek to come to peace and to achieve peace um, with our bodies, I think that sometimes it feels really overwhelming and almost insurmountable because we're swimming upstream. I just want you to know that every step you take to make peace with your body, every thought, every belief that you try to root out and, and reframe makes a difference. 
And not just for you, but for the women that surround you. Okay, As you come to find peace within your own body, you inspire others to do the same. And that creates a ripple effect. And I truly believe that we can change the current. I, I believe that while you may be swimming up current now, if we can get enough of us to, to flip this script, to change these beliefs, I really believe we can change the current. I, I, I do. So I want to encourage you to choose either one or all of these beliefs. Choose one and practice. Practice changing that belief. Practice questioning it. And practice taking the time to recognize when you have those thoughts and do something about them. And pay attention to how your choices change as a result of what you think. I hope you have an awesome, awesome week. I can't wait to talk with you again.